Welcome to the next part of And Now for Something Completely Machinima and we'll be continuing our sci-fi, Star Wars and space themed month. So previously we've talked a lot about Star Wars but that's not the only big sci-fi series that's going to be having a good month. Mass Effect Legendary Edition launches tomorrow and to celebrate the occasion I'm joined by Commander Shepard himself, Mark Mir. Welcome. Hello David and thank you for having me and uh, may I say may the 14th be with you. <laughs> Perfect, thank you. Uh, and thank you for coming on the show. And We've known each other for many years, but uh, this is the first time I've actually sat down and interviewed you and got to talk to you about uh, Mass Effect and voice acting. Uh, yes, that's right. I mean, we met, uh, I think it was at the MCM. Uh, was that the first time that we met? Or, or I where? I don't know if it was MCM or Dragon Con. Or it might have been Dragon Con, yeah, come to think of it. Yeah. But, uh, so, but yes, we've met so many times. Yeah. yeah, we have. We have. And actually, uh, I believe, yes, it was uh, in London. I was doing an event. Uh, it was sort of a sci-fi improv thing. And I was playing a parody of Commander Shepard in it. And uh, you very kindly lent me some Mass Effect armor because bringing my own over would have been quite, uh, quite a hassle because it takes up its own suitcase. Well, I was more than happy to uh, let you uh, borrow that. And uh, I came and watched the show. And it's fantastic. And... Uh, I kind of wish I'd been able to stay and watch more of it. Yes, it was. We should mention for the listeners, it's uh, it was a fifty-hour-long show. It was part of the London Improvathon, and yeah. Uh, yeah, so much appreciated. Yeah. Um, so tell me a little bit about yourself. Um, how did you get into voice acting? Uh, well, I, uh, as I've said in other interviews, I got into it the old-fashioned way, which is through an audition, and I was lucky enough to uh, get in on the ground floor with Bioware back when they were doing the old traditional cattle call style auditions where they just had dozens of people come in and do their lines. Uh, and, you know, I, pretty much everyone in town and Edmonton, where Bioware is based uh, and where I'm based as well, uh, did those auditions. And on the strength of that, I was cast in Baldur's Gate 2 for a single line of dialogue in the final cutscene of the game. And that line seemed to go over well with Bioware because they kept hiring me subsequently for uh, pretty much everything they worked on. So I got to work on, speaking of Star Wars, the original uh, Knights of the Old Republic that Bioware put out. And, uh, all, of course, all their Dungeons & Dragons games, uh, Neverwinter Nights and the Baldur's Gate games, and things like that, Jade Empire, uh, and and then subsequently, of course, Mass Effect, and, and on from there, Dragon Age. Yeah, uh, I remember playing uh, the first Mass Effect, and uh, it was a game that, obviously, I played as Mel Shepard, and really enjoyed your performance as, as the character and I had no idea that you also voiced so many alien characters alongside that as well. Uh, yes, um, I was I was fortunate enough to, to get to play a number of roles in the trilogy uh, and to be honest when I first got was working on Mass Effect I, I started in the very early stages uh, this is when it was still all concept art and things like that and I was brought on to essentially do a presentation on what the various alien races would sound like. So what would a typical Solarian sound like? What would a typical Krogan sound like? Things like that. And uh, during that process, I was asked to audition for Male Commander Shepard and didn't really hold up much hope of landing that role. So perhaps the fact that I, I didn't have a lot invested uh, wasn't holding out a lot of hope. That might have helped because... I was subsequently informed that, you know, I'd, I'd made it through the callbacks and it's down to you and a few people from L.A. And I, I figured for sure one of them is going to get it. But I was very pleasantly surprised to find I had been cast. Uh, and 
in addition to playing Commander Shepard, I got to do what I usually did, which is play a bunch of you know antagonists and monsters and things like that. Yeah, and when I found out that it was you doing these other characters, I was really amazed um, just by the, the talent that must go into that. And uh, I was wondering, when you, you get a, a sort of an alien character or someone that's not necessarily going to sound like your, your normal speaking voice, how do you uh, create that sound? What 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 goes in? What's the kind of the thought process in creating the the, the way they're going to sound and uh, sort of trying to perform that? Well, in the case of Mass Effect, as I say, I was sort of lucky enough to be the one that had kind of originated the sounds, or at least put forth the initial suggestions for what they should sound like. And they didn't always necessarily take my suggestions. For example, the Solarians pretty much ended up being exactly as I, I had pitched it. They're sort of the very clipped cadence, the 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 higher-pitched voice, etc. And some stuff was very obvious, like, well, I, I think the Krogans should have a deep voice. So, you know, you know what Krogans <laughs> yeah. look like. It, it makes sense that they should have guttural tones, that sort of thing. Um, and as I said, not all the suggestions were taken. So in the case of the Turians, for example, uh, and, and this would apply generally as well, I sort of had the concept art to look at. Uh, I could figure out, I had background on their culture and things like that. And uh, in a lot of cases, it was because I was, again, mapping out in the very early stages, uh, I was looking at the, their actual physicality. Like the Turians, for example, I noticed that they had their their unique facial structure. And so I proposed, well, maybe they should have a sort of clicking sound, like, you know, maybe at the end of sentences and things like that. Uh, a little similar to how the bolus speech is punctuated by their breathing apparatus. Um, it was that that got overruled, and I, I think for very good reason, because when I had suggested that, Garrus was not yet in the game as a main character. And once they decided that uh, Turian, you know, you were going to have a Turian with you a lot, a Turian that you were going to be talking with quite a bit, uh, maybe mm -hmm. the clicking might get a wear on the nerves after a while or might get a little <laughs> distracting. So they ultimately decided that Turians would just be a straight up filter, uh, which is which is why, you know. Victorian sound as they do. Uh, so yeah, for the most part, uh, it's it's not always the case that you're even going to know what the character looks like. You might just have a general idea of their personality and whatnot. But when I have access to art and things like that, then yes, I will tend to incorporate ideas that are based on just the physical structure of you know their vocal apparatus, what they look like, what they sound like. Again, elements from their culture and whatnot. If you're going in blind, uh, you generally rely on your director. So you might, as a voice actor, come up with several different options. And the director uh, will go, oh, okay, let's focus on that. Let's, we, we might even take two that we, that we like and two different approaches. Let's record the dialogue both of those ways, and then we'll see what, uh, you know, they take it back to Bioware and see how it works. Uh, again, I was, I was in a unique position in that a lot of the times, because I'm, I was actually in Edmonton where Bioware was based, we weren't doing it this remotely, uh, sometimes I would have writers, like for example, uh, Mac Walters was in some of my recording sessions uh, later on when I was doing Shepard. So when we needed a, a bit of dialogue tweaked or it's, you know, uh, again, not, not changing the plot of the game at all, but just this sentence might be a little easier to say if we switch this around or it flows more naturally if we say it like this then Mac could just instantly approve it. He was right there. We didn't have to go through a bunch of channels. We had him in the room. Uh, it, we did have to keep a, a close eye on 
dialogue changes, of course, because Jennifer Hale and I had to say the same thing. Uh, And and it worked both ways. So if Jennifer had recorded a particular scene first and they'd tweaked some dialogue somewhere, we had to make a very careful note of that so that I did the same thing and vice versa. If I'd changed something, we had to make sure that when it came time for Jennifer to record that scene, the dialogue matched up. Yeah, it makes perfect sense. And uh, I imagine it must have been uh, a lot of work to make sure that both you and Jennifer's dialogue did actually match each other as far as the words go. I know that it, it was a lot of work, but, it. but thankfully it wasn't work that I was responsible for. <laughs> it was, <laughs> you know, we have a, yeah. we had a large team behind us and a lot of people keeping track. Again, our directors, I worked with uh, Shauna Perry on the first game and uh, Caroline Livingstone on uh, two and three and, uh, Fabulous directors. They they were the ones that helped give context and uh, keep track of things. Ultimately, they could tell me because we were doing this out of sequence. They'd be able to go, "Oh, okay, this is happening at this point in the story." Do you remember that scene that we did before? This one follows that, and so yeah, we I'd, I'd say Jennifer and I both heavily relied on our directors for that. Well, I think it does help to have a good director, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah. So and and Car- in Caroline's case, particularly, Caroline is also uh, an actor, and we'd worked together in stage productions and stuff before. So she's fantastic in terms of being able to relate to other actors and be able to to give us direction that that we would understand. Oh, makes a lot of sense as well. I mean, having that active performance as a director helps. Most definitely. It's kind of like, um, yeah, you understand yeah, the director will then understand what the actor has to do rather than just being the director and not really understanding. Mm-hmm. And as a matter of fact, uh, do you remember Jenkins from the original Mass Effect? Yes. Yes, one of the, the first, Very briefly. Uh, first casualties, <laughs> yes. Uh, the actor who plays uh, him, Josh Dean, who also uh, I've done a fair bit of stage work with, uh, he's in L.A. now, and he actually does a fair bit of uh, voice direction uh, currently. Ah. Well, and I've not, I've not been directed by Josh personally, but I know that he would be great at it because he's a good actor. Yeah. Well, hopefully one day you'll get the uh, the chance to uh, be directed by him. Yes, we'll see. We'll see. Yeah. Um, so I do. I still uh, look forward for any opportunity I have to improvise with him because he was in in my improv troupe. Yeah, uh, I do know you do enjoy the improv as well. Oh yes, of course. Yeah. <laughs> so um, my understanding is Bioware have this technology where uh, someone who's already recorded the dialogue for the game, uh, that re- those recordings are available to everyone recording after that, uh, yes. so you can hear it when you're performing. Um, can you talk a little bit more about that, and how helpful is it to have that kind of system? It is immensely helpful uh, because you're not you're not acting in a vacuum. You have if you are the first person to lay down the uh, uh, the tracks for that scene, then. Obviously, you don't have anyone else's recording, but you're, to a certain extent, setting the tone. If you're going after people have recorded, then you've got their performances in your headset while you're performing, and that's that's much more helpful than than just trying to stitch it all together with everyone, again, acting in a vacuum. Um, I was, again, fortunate enough to have Keith David's performance, for example, uh, available to me when we recorded uh, a lot of the Anderson scenes, particularly the Anderson death scene. And that's just amazing. That's just having again Keith David's voice in your headset while you're while you're performing the scene uh, that your characters are in together. Immensely helpful. I can imagine, and he's he's got such a great voice as well. Uh, Indeed, I've enjoyed yeah. 
he's one of those actors where no matter what role he's playing in, you just always enjoy it. What, what, what his his performance, whatever he's doing. Exactly. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, so the system they have. Um, is it's a prop, uh, proprietary system uh, known as uh, VADA. And apparently the acronym actually is V-A-D-E-R, but they weren't able <laughs> to copyright it uh, under that name because someone else seems to own the copyright on that name. I'm not sure who, but yeah. No, I can't imagine. I can't imagine who. <laughs> um, yes. Hold, hold on a second. Just read it. I'll cut this bit out. I'll just read in the, the next question. Oh, you already answered that one. I was asking about the different characters and voices. <laughs> um, so when you're recording two characters that talk to each other, so let's say Commander Shepard and a Vorcher, do you tend to do all of one character's dialogue in a row and then come back and do the other one, or do you alternate between the two so you got the flow of the conversation? Uh, no, it's uh, we generally record all the dialogue for one character. Usually it would be Shepard first. Uh, in fact, right. uh, the rule of thumb was any Shepard dialogue would get done first of the day, and then the Vorcha are a prime example. Uh, they're a little more rough on the vocal apparatus than Shepard is, so they would tend to save any Vorcha lines they needed for the end of the day or even the end of the week so that I would have, you know, when I'm in the next day, I'm not still damaged from speaking as the Vorcha because the Vorcha in particular is just me screeching at the top of my lungs with a mouth half full of water in the booth. So that's, uh, yeah, that, that could be uh, difficult if we were going back and forth. Uh, but of course we're still using the same system. So once I'd recorded my shepherd lines, I could then go back and do, uh, so for example, there's that uh, scene in the Citadel DLC where you have not only Commander Shepard and a Vorcha, but also Blasto, who I also mm. play, in, like, because I do the voices of all the Hanar. So we would record Shepard's lines first. Then when I went back to do, say, Blasto's lines, I would have Shepard's line, my own lines as Shepard played back to me. And so we were able to get that flow. Uh, and then I would finally do the Vorcha at the end. And then I would have both Blasto and Shepard's lines. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. And it, yeah, it, it was pretty seamless. Like there wasn't like a lot of, okay, we've recorded Shepard's lines. Now hold on while we put all this together. Our engineers were great at just like, okay, well, we've got all that. And now just play back. And, you know, it was, it was, I'm sure there was more to it, but it seemed like, oh, all they did was press a button. And suddenly I had my Shepard lines as I was recording Blasto in the Warship. Yeah, I can imagine that would be really useful having that and uh, helps get the performance better, uh, right? And, uh, get the whole tone of the, the conversation uh, from the other characters, mm -hmm. regardless of whether your, your voice, I mean, because you've heard the, your own performance, you, you kind of got an idea of how you sound like, but when you've got the other actors who you weren't in the recording booth with, you get them, them as well. Mm -hmm. So um, when you're preparing for a role, besides the script, what other material do you find helpful? I mean, obviously, you need the script because otherwise you don't know what to say. But yeah. uh, what what else do you like to know about the characters? And uh, well, generally, some biographical details is, are are nice. Uh, the fact that we were doing this over the course of many years meant that we were fairly familiar with our characters going in. Uh, but when we and and of course, Commander Shepard is a unique situation. 
in that if you're playing an NPC, you basically like, okay, well, here's what they're like, here's what their personality is like, and here's their background. But with Commander Shepard, you don't necessarily know what their personality is like or what their background is like because there's so many choices. Commander Shepard could have been born on Earth and uh, uh, in a been raised as a as an orphan on the streets uh, and part of a criminal gang, or he could be a spacer uh, whose parents are like high ranking military members. So there is no canon shepherd per se. So you don't you don't really know uh, what a, a given player's shepherd is going to be like. That said, we always tried to establish what is the core of shepherd. What what do all shepherds have in common? And this would be that they are. A highly decorated military officer who's used to giving commands under pressure. So that that's something that whether you're a paragon or a renegade, this is the bedrock that Shepard is built on. Uh, as far as what sort of information, like, well, uh, sometimes, uh, speaking of machinima, uh, sometimes we would have animatics. Uh, if it was a particular, particularly action-heavy scene, uh, if there was... you you needed to know about spatial relationships and things like that. Most of the time, all we were doing was recorded, you know, all I saw was the script, but on occasion they would have a, an animatic, some, sometimes more advanced than others, uh, depending on where in the, uh, in the game process we were like, sometimes it was literally like this blue block is shepherd and this, you know, these red blocks are <laughs> just to figure out, okay, so now they're about 30 feet away from you, so you're going to have to raise your voice, and then you walk in closer, so now you're at a more intimate conversational level. Uh, but sometimes it was things like, okay, so you say this line of dialogue, and then there's this explosion, and then Shepard is jumping and falling and saying this line as they're in midair, that sort of thing. Um, I do recall for some of the very early ones on Mass Effect 1, we did have the early character art for Shepard that was just up on the wall inside the booth. Uh, and this was, of course, the uh, the default male Shepard, the the Mark uh, the Mark Vanderloo version, because uh, of course, right. for those who don't know, the default male Shepard is actually based on a real person. Uh, he is a Dutch model named Mark Vanderloo, and so uh, he did all the motion or the the facial capture anyway. Uh, and uh, I'm not sure. Yeah, I don't think he actually did a lot of the motion capture because they actually brought in actual soldiers uh, to do like a lot of the the gun stuff and the running and things like that. But uh, uh, that the face that you think of as typical male shepherd is actually a real person, and so that, we had yeah. we had that you know it wasn't just a picture of Mark Vanderloo it was a picture of Commander Shepard you know in the armor, but uh, yeah for some of the early sh- sessions that was just sort of in my field of view so it's like okay I'm that guy you know yeah yeah and again so that wasn't that wasn't necessarily going to be the case because you could make your shepherd look like whatever you wanted yeah. But it's still kind of helpful just to have the image of, you know, the, I assume you had the the armor and everything on, so you got an idea of even if the face was going to be different, you, you knew how he was going to be dressed. Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah, and, and uh, just bearing and things like that, you know. Yeah, so with a game like uh, Mass Effect, it's not one linear story. You get lots of branching um, elements, so you can have a conversation, and you could, the player can make Shepard react angrily or. Uh, happily or whatever uh, and so it takes the conversation in different directions so what's it like when you you're recording conversation and but you know you have to take it in all these different directions is it easy to keep track of all of that or so, uh, well again we relied heavily on our directors for that and generally the way the scripts are set up is that you would 
do one branch of dialogue first. So you'd sort of go, okay, here's the Paragon track. Then we're going to go through and we're going to do that and follow that through to the end. Then we would go back to the top of the scene. Here's the Renegade track. We'll record that and do that through. And then there are some lines of dialogue that, of course, uh, are shared by both. Uh, and that, that was actually a, a tricky bit because we had to assume that people aren't going to play pure Renegade or pure Paragon. So in a set, like you couldn't have wild emotional swings because somebody might be going, I'm going to say the Paragon line now, and now I'm going to go for the Renegade option. And if they were too distinct from each other, it would sound like Shepard was having wild emotional swings in the course of a single <laughs> scene. Yeah. Uh, and of course there was some, there were some that were shared you know, like just usually inquiry lines or things like that that are shared between both reads. So you had to be able to stitch those all together seamlessly. And again, that's that's what we relied heavily on our directors for. Well, I think you were very successful with that because uh, I've played through the game as many times and I never felt like any of the conversations the that Shepard was suddenly changing his mood to something different from what I expected. And... Um, you're right. I didn't play it pure uh, Paragon or pure Renegade. I kind of the first time I went through it. Actually, I thought, how would I react in this situation mm-hmm. if if this was me there? Because uh, I was kind of curious if I would get the the Renegade or Paragon option. Because um, I, I did the same thing with uh, Knights of the Republic. I thought, am I go- if I play myself, am I going to end up with on the light side or the dark side? And I thought, when Mass Effect came out, I'm going to try the same thing just mm-hmm. to see. Um, how it turned out. And luckily it was more Paragon than Renegade. Right. Well, but, but um, the Renegade's got some good interrupt lines, let's face it. And, it, know, it does, definitely. Occasionally you want to just throw someone out of a window. Or, you know. uh, yeah, and it's very satisfying to do that, when, especially if, if they've been really aggravating. Yes, and I, I believe the Kai Leng death is like a, a Renegade interrupt as well. Uh, that's yeah, I imagine that was yeah. <laughs> even uh, most people, even if they've gone pure Renegade would do, go for the Renegade option just for that that one time yeah you got it you really got it uh yeah it's uh well it's good to know uh that uh, that that worked out because in the process uh of course we're recording dialogue but occasionally we'll have re-records or it's like pickups and things like that and early in the first game that's what that's what our re-records were it was like ah we got to redo that scene you need to flatten the emotion out in that scene because uh otherwise it will sound like you're just ping-ponging back and forth between intense rage and extreme calm. So, yeah. Um, so, Mass Effect's obviously a very cinematic game uh, with all the sort of in-game cutscenes and the conversations and the way that they're shown to be like... Uh, it's like watching a movie, but you can affect the way it, it plays out. Not just, I don't just mean the running around and shooting things, just the actual conversations and things mm-hmm. and um that's something that's very important to the machinery community is we were doing this in video games and so to see a video game doing what we were doing as a hobby but to do it to tell the story of the game that that meant a, a lot to us and a lot of the machinery community got very excited and i know that quite a few of our members did actually join bioware to work on subsequent games mm-hmm. um which is always nice. Uh, which is like when you when you see that. Like again, I've 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 met people at Bioware who were like, yes, they were fans first, and yeah. and then they made it their career. So that's that's uh, that's always very gratifying. Yeah, and uh, I love the machine community. Are very excited to see the 
legendary edition because some of our friends worked on these scenes and so we were excited to see how they've been updated with all the visual enhancements that are coming. Mm-hmm. Yes, uh, uh, I've seen, you know, obviously uh, what what everyone else has seen. Uh, just in the last week, yeah. they've uh, they've dropped some of the little sneak peeks of what we can look forward to. Yeah, I've been looking, uh, watching those very closely and getting very excited and uh, looking forward to the, the game. Uh, so, yeah, that's the next question is, uh, when can we actually look forward to playing that? To, to playing the Legendary Edition? Yeah. Uh, but that, well, as, as my greeting off the top, uh, May the 14th be with you. Uh, May 14th is, is what I am told is the general release. Which is uh, tomorrow for anyone listening on lunch day. Uh, when this podcast goes out. Oh, so, right. Uh, no, I was going to say, wait, yeah. no, it's April. <laughs> but, <laughs> but that's when we're recording this, through the magic yeah. of, of uh, internet time travel. Um, so do you have any other upcoming projects or um, other projects that you'd like to talk about, um, what you're working on at the moment? Oh, sure. Uh, in the realm of video games, of course, uh, work continues on The Long Dark, which stars both myself and Jennifer Hale, the female Commander Shepard. Uh, and it was great to actually get to work with Jennifer on this game because uh, in this one we play a divorced couple. Uh, so we're not playing the same person, uh, which means we can actually have scenes together. And uh, that's, that's really fun. It's a very challenging uh, survival sim, post-apocalyptic survival sim, but it is unique in that everything looks lovely and beautiful and there's a lot of natural beauty. There's a very painterly style to the graphics. Uh, it's essentially... Uh, a post-apocalyptic world where a geomagnetic event has knocked out all power on Earth, so there's no electricity anymore. And my character is a bush pilot who was in the air above northern Canada when this happened, uh, crashed subsequently, and Jennifer's character was uh, in the plane with me as well because she's a doctor and I was taking her to an isolated community. So the game is largely, uh, well, it's been described as player versus Canada. Uh, because what you're trying to do is not freeze to death or starve to death or be eaten by a wolf uh, because the uh, electromagnetic event has also somehow altered animals' brain chemistry, so they're a lot more aggressive. Predators are a lot more aggressive than they would tend to be in nature. Uh, so yeah, you there is a, a plot that you can follow, but there's also a sandbox version where the point is just simply survive as long as you possibly can. And there's no tutorial, per se. There's no uh, HUD map or anything like that. Uh, You essentially find yourself in the wilderness, and then you have to find what you need to survive. First, you're going to start by scavenging your plane crash, uh, and then from there, it's like cabins and isolated uh, communities and things like that that you try to find. Uh, It's, as I say, very challenging. I died so many times in the the first few minutes of that game, including one point where I walked into my campfire, not knowing that you could actually do that, and ended up with third-degree burns, and then just, you know, had a a fairly miserable death. Uh, There's lots of ways to die in the long dark, uh, is what I'm saying. And that is released episodically. It's sort of like the old uh, Telltale uh, Walking Dead games. So we uh, have been doing work... uh, I think I'm allowed to say that essentially work continues on that game. Uh, I, I couldn't give you specific release dates on when the new episodes are going to drop, but we, we continue to work on that, even in the pandemic. And speaking of the pandemic, uh, it's actually afforded me the opportunity to do a lot more streaming of role-playing games than I normally would. 
Uh, and so I've got a couple of projects currently on the go, uh, one of which is a podcast called Stitch of Fate, a podcast by night, and that's a Vampire the Masquerade actual play podcast. Uh, we drop new episodes of that every Friday at 11 a.m. Eastern time. And uh, we were actually very fortunate uh, to receive three awards in the Audioverse Awards recently, including Best in Improvised Production. So that's going quite well. Uh, we have a Patreon for that and all that. And you can find uh, new episodes pretty much anywhere you would find a podcast uh, on all major platforms, as they say. Uh, and the other thing that I've started uh, more recently at the time of this recording is uh, an official Dungeons & Dragons stream. Uh, this is called the Black Dice Society. So it's a Dungeons & Dragons actual play stream. Uh, and as I say, it's official. So it's on the Dungeons & Dragons YouTube and Twitch channels every Thursday, right before Critical Role, which is a, a very prime time slot. And oh, yeah. uh, that is uh, our Dungeon Master is Mr. B. Dave Walters. Uh, for those who watch streaming games, will know his work quite well. Uh, we've also got Cypher of Tear and DJ Knight, uh, Becca Scott, uh, Sage Ryan, Nora Ibrahim, myself. It's a great cast. And Ravenloft is one of my very favorite settings uh, for Dungeons & Dragons. So I was very pleased to get to be involved in this. I also, I think, yeah, the cat's out of the bag now, so I can actually say... Uh, I also get to play one of the Dark Lords of Ravenloft, Aslan Rex, who is uh, the Lich King of Darkon. And uh, so I play him in, in full Lich, uh, you know, silicone mask, makeup, the, the whole bit. And uh, <laughs> Jason Carl, the storyteller of L.A. by Night, a very popular Vampire the Masquerade stream, uh, plays Strad von Zarovich, who is essentially Ravenloft's Dracula. So... It's it's really fun to get to those scenes because Aslan and Strahd hate each other with a, with a <laughs> bright and burning passion. So essentially, it's it's Jason as a vampire and me as a lich and us just being catty to each other <laughs> for over a Zoom call. And that's usually how we end out the show. Is, uh, we uh, we pre-record that stuff because obviously the the makeup takes a while. Uh, yeah. But uh, those and and those sessions are just completely improvised. Like we we just turn on the camera and then we snipe at each other for, for a while. Well, you know, we'll introduce elements of plot as well, but it's mostly sniping. It's mostly sniping and a lot of fun. Uh, so yes, that is the black dice society. And that's every Thursday on uh, Thursday afternoons at 4 PM Pacific, uh, 7 PM Eastern on the Dungeons and Dragons, YouTube and Twitch. So uh, our listeners, uh, as soon as you finish listening to our podcast, uh, go and check out that because it's the same day. Mm. Oh yeah, that's right. This will be this will be released yeah. on a Thursday. Yeah, um, and it does sound like you have a lot of fun, uh, especially being the Lich and, and being a, I assume more of a villain role. Yes, although my uh, my character, because I'm 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 very fortunate in that I get to play a very powerful NPC villain. Uh, right. I, I'm not privy to all the details of the plot, so it's not really cheating. Uh, it's again just using what I know of Aslan Rex. Uh, but I also have a PC. I've got a player in, in the group as well who is Brother Uriah Macabre, and he's best described as, uh, if you've ever seen the old Disney cartoon version of The Legend of Sleepy Hollow, uh, he's, he's Ichabod Crane, essentially. He's, okay. Yeah, terrified of everything. So he's probably unfortunate that he lives in Ravenloft. Yeah, that's not really the best place to live if you're scared of everything. <laughs> yes, and but, he's, he's yeah. one of the native-born Ravenlofters uh, in the group. The there are characters from uh, Faerun, from the Forgotten Realms, who've been brought to Ravenloft by the Mists, as is traditional. 
but there are a few of us who are like, oh no, we we live in this place of darkness and terror and uh, and monsters. So yeah. So, uh, to our listeners, uh, you'll find links to to all these shows that Mark has just talked about in the show notes, so you can uh, check them all out. Uh, I'll also talk about the uh, Long Dark game, um, and you find a link to that again in the, the, sh- the show notes. Mm-hmm. So, um, uh, I've got one last uh, cheeky question, uh, if I may. Yeah. Is there any chance uh, the podcast could get an endorsement from Commander Shepard? Oh, yes, of course. You can book me on Cameo for that. No, of course, I'll give you one. Uh, but I, I should mention that I am available on Cameo for all your Mass Effect catchphrase-related needs. So, yeah, look me up there. But what would you like, Damien? What can I, what can I do for you? Um, well, first of all, I will, I'll put a link to your Cameo in the, in the show notes as well. Excellent. Um, I'll accept that as wondering... payment. Thank you. Okay. Um, can I have a, I'm Commander Shepard, and this is my favorite podcast on the Citadel. I thought it might be something like that. All right. <clears throat> I'm Commander Shepard, and this is my favorite podcast on the Citadel. Perfect. Thank you very much. <laughs> no worries. My great pleasure. Um, so, yeah, thank you, Mark, for joining us. Um, I'm really looking forward to playing Legendary Edition tomorrow, uh, making sure I wrap up all my projects uh, so that I can just sit back and play and not worry that I'm not getting anything else done. Because <laughs> uh, those games do tend to consume my life a little bit. Uh, I got the first game, uh, the first Christmas it was released, and I did nothing for 10 days except play through it twice. <laughs> so uh, well, I expect I'll be doing the same thing again. Well, uh, may I say the Alliance thanks you for your service. Well, thank you very much. Um, so uh, uh, may the force be with you to all of our listeners, and uh, 